the K-12-ish podcast, everyone. I'm Anna, and today I'm joined by Brett Myers and Michael Heyman, who are the co-founders of Reimagine Classroom, which specializes in putting together curriculum and solutions for IB STEAM and the Common Core. So welcome. Thank you both so much for being here. Thanks, Thank Anna. So, so tell me, what does it mean to reimagine classrooms? So I think that now it's easier than ever, especially with the pandemic happening. I think that teachers are reimagining what classrooms look like every single day. I think that when we started the company, we really had a vision of, Brett and I started as co-teachers. And I think that our classrooms really just felt like such a magical experience in which there are just simulations and just really rich learning experiences happening all the time outside of textbooks. And I think that when Brett and I started the company, when we came up with the name Reimagined Classroom, we really just were drawn back to our own teaching experiences and trying to bring learning to life. And I know that a lot of teachers obviously do that every day. And I think that that was kind of our goal of the curriculum, just to bring life and energy and fun engagement to the classroom. Yeah, and, and just to build on that too, like, you know, when Mike and I talked together, it was, it was actually a really amazing time in life. Our kids would be moving around and we'd have, you know, a controlled chaos kind of environment where kids had a chance to explore and be independent, really own their, their learning. And, and that, that's what we want to bring to the market is, is those best practices and, and, and not just sitting in rows and things like that, but reimagining what a classroom could look like and getting those kids engaged and having ownership of their education. And then just thinking about the other side of the equation, too, which, of course, is the teachers. So the other, the other party in the classroom and I think that, you know, oftentimes they're the neglected party in the classrooms when, you know, you have so many people creating for education and ed tech and there's this big boom. And like I said, oftentimes educators, they forgotten about party. So I think that the other part of us reimagining the classroom is that as education is moving forward and we're learning more and more complex things, I think we're reimagining, you know, how can we, you know, help the teachers and create materials and, you know, trainings for teachers in order that, that empower them in the classroom. Absolutely. And I, and I think a lot of this, as you mentioned, goes back to both of your experiences in the classroom. So I wanted to dive into your backgrounds a bit and also learn what made you ultimately switch from being in the classroom to being in the ed tech, ed services space. So Michael, can we start with you? Tell me a bit about your background and why you ultimately made that switch. Sure. So I've been a public school educator for about a decade I got my start in uh, New York City in a Title I school in the Bronx. Um, really, really amazing, rich experience. Um, I then moved to Colorado because I was drawn to Colorado for my love of the mountains. And honestly, the school district in Colorado is a completely IB school district, uh, all the elementary schools, the middle school and the high school. So that was really what kind of drew me to the school district that I worked at. And I was lucky enough to be partnered up with Brett. And we spent a one, actually just one really amazing year teaching together. And I left the classroom because I think I was seeking just something else. I, I really enjoyed it. Brett wasn't the one that drove me from the classroom, I swear. I, Brett and I actually had one of our probably the most amazing year teaching together ever. I think that, well, one, my wife and I wanted to travel. So I was going to take a little bit of a kind of personal sabbatical from the classroom. When I left, I started curriculum writing, blog writing, and I kind of found a love of just this further reach. And I think that's what my initial draw was outside the classroom was this extended outreach to different people, including teachers, you know, teachers in teacher preparatory classes, and then of course, students. Yeah, absolutely. So 
Brett, what about you? Can you tell me a bit about that journey from your background in the classroom to then uh, stepping outside to work on reimagined classrooms? No, absolutely. Yeah. So actually my journey starts really young. I, I used to volunteer as a teenager at, at schools and church groups and stuff like that. And I, I, I started to get a passion for it. And my, my true passion actually came out of YMCA summer camp where when I would, uh, you know, every day I just feel fulfilled. And I was like, this is what I want to do. And so from that, I actually was a Peace Corps volunteer. I actually served Peace Corps, did some education out there and then worked out, started going nonprofit route, working in nonprofits and education, and then moved into, uh, we actually moved to Singapore. And I had the opportunity, I got my master's degree in education and worked at some uh, IB schools out there. Um, and I had a great experience, just a very collaborative, very focused on inquiring best practice, um, just, just a great experience. And then it was time to come back to the States after six years and uh, ended up working with Mike in Colorado. And I was drawn to the same reasons Mike was. It was an Ivy STEM district, and I was very interested in STEM, with, you know, STEAM STEM at the time. And, uh, and Mike and I were joined up, and it was probably the best co-teaching I've ever done. We literally had a divider in our room that we'd open up every day. And when you came to our room, you wouldn't know who the, who the main teacher was. Uh, Mike and I just had a, a wonderful talent of working together and finishing each other's sentences. So Mike took off, as he mentioned, and I continued on. I actually moved up to fifth grade. Um, and then from that, uh, Mike called me one day. Uh, I just moved to Florida. It was about my wife's job. And uh, I said, Brett, what would what, what, what we start a company together? Would, would you be interested? And I, I, I thought about it. And he explained everything to me. And he, he mentioned some of it there. And one of the things that really drew me in is like, I'm all about, I'm about impact. How can I affect kids? How can I make their lives better? How can I improve? And when he said we had this opportunity to do this and I started seeing the potential, I was just like, Sign me up. This sounds great. Like we can we can have that impact on a great level and and really try to make a difference. And I know that sounds cheesy, but like I I really mean that. I, I I'm excited for that. That's beautiful. And so I I was speaking to Michael prior to this, and I've looked over your website. And so you guys have taken on some really interesting projects. I I know you guys created a reading platform called Reimagined Reading. There's a coding platform called coding class. And then it looks like you've also done after school coding programs. There's been typing programs as well. And you're creating uh, curriculum solutions I saw too. So what are some of the projects that you are taking on and why do you choose those specific projects? Sure. So I I think that, uh, you know, our company, the reimagined classroom definitely has some Different, you know, we obviously have our curriculum creation solutions focused, like you mentioned. And then we have these product focuses for different reasons. And Brett, why don't you start with coding class? Because I think that's really, well, that was really our first passion project with uh, with Reimagine Classroom. Yeah, I think the way Mike said that is, is really key. So we have our two passion projects that we're really into. And then we have our consulting business as a general helping out other educational companies. So um, coding class itself, Mike and I got into this actually as, as when we first started the company, we, I, I was kind of the tech guy at their school. I love helping kids, people build websites, working with different things in the classroom. And one thing I noticed is when people like that leave a school, it kind of falls apart. And so what we want to do is say, okay, well, you know, we need to make a difference in this space because this is where jobs are heading. And a lot of times what you'll see in a coding program, anything like computer science programs, is just these textbooks that are laid in front. And, and we all know, like as teachers, we just don't have time to read that. Um, so what we did was like, okay, so let's, let's reimagine this. Uh, I didn't do that on purpose, by the way. So let, let's rethink this. And how, what, what do we need to address? So number one, we identified a teacher 
a teacher who we thought to ourselves, okay, this is the teacher who, you know, technology kind of makes them a little nervous. They're not sure how to use it. They're not, you know, up to date on the most standard practices. How do we get that teacher to teach computer science? And more importantly, we know that they don't have a lot of time. We know that because we're teachers. So how do we do that in 10 minutes of prep or less? And that was our focus, going to a person who doesn't know how to teach computer science and how to get them prepped in 10 minutes or less. So that was our focus. So what we did was we came up with a computer science program that literally can teach these kids how to build a computer, then code on that computer. Um, and that, that's our goal. And so what we want to do is make them all computer science experts. So basically, we wanted to work with, make, uh, excuse me, got a little goofy here. Um, but basically, get, get them prepared and get them going and get kids to love it and make the teacher not intimidated by it. Yeah, I think that there's obviously this super heavy focus on the teachers. And I think, Anna, when we were speaking, you know, I definitely spoke about multiple entry points. And I think that, you know, again, as the forgotten teacher, we're always talking about multiple entry points for students. And coding class definitely affords that opportunity through different types of engagement. There's kinesthetic learning, there's online, and there's obviously this big, there's this big offline component. I think that before coronavirus, people were like, how can we get our kids on technology? How, you know, there's this big push in schools for one-to-one -one technology, especially in a lot of these Title I schools. And it's almost like more tech, more tech, more tech. But it's like, what do we do with this? Are we training teachers for the tech? Are we training kids for this tech? And I think with coding class, what we want to do is one, take a step back and focus on the process and not just the product. So I think a lot of people, and as I mentioned, there's a lot of people trying to solve teachers' problems. And we wanted to come at it from the teacher's perspective, trying to solve a teacher's problem. So we wanted these multiple entry points for both students and teachers. So I think that with coding class, our whole goal is really empowerment. And I think that computer science and coding, as Brett mentioned, could be this really intimidating subject. And it goes across, you know, kind of these higher level subject areas. And as we move forward in the 21st century and as things happen more and more quick and we need to adapt our classrooms and reimagine our classrooms at a faster pace, I think that our delivery method of coding class is something that we really thought about a lot as well from our student-facing videos and our Cliff Note style lesson plans and allowing teachers to learn more through teacher-facing videos. We really wanted to kind of, like I said, allow different pathways to getting started for everybody in the classroom, all the stakeholders. I think that is so important too, as you say that, because it's, things are changed. Like there is some, I wish I could remember this data point off the top of my head, but it's like 80% or something of the jobs of the future haven't even been created yet. Like as it, everything is changing so quickly in the 21st century. So it's, it's not the same where it's the same knowledge or skills that had been taught in classrooms for decades. Now it's rapidly changing. And so teachers, there's no way for them to be an expert on it, right? So if you give them a tool like code in class, it allows them to facilitate learning and learn alongside students without making the mandate that they have to be the expert in the classroom. And I think that that's so important, especially as you think about what the future of classrooms will look like. Totally. I think that as teachers, you know, especially for me who graduated, you know, my program quite a long time ago, you know, when I signed up to be a teacher, you know, I thought about reading, writing, social science, building relationships with kids, social, emotional learning, you know, teaching kids to build computers was like not even anywhere in the, you know, range of thought for myself. And now, you know, in Indiana, computer science standards are being implemented next year. In Georgia, they were already implemented this year. 
And these are some states that you generally don't think about is like, well, they're pushing the technological, you know, barometer forward. But really, we're seeing this across all 50 states. And we really need to think as teachers, like, how are we going to empower teachers? You know, and I think teachers are going to want to have different roles. And I, Anna, we were speaking about this a little bit too before. I think that someone like Brett is someone that you want on your staff. Brett is the A plus teacher who like, you're, you're lucky to have him on your role. And me, my, my good days and my bad days. Oh, Michael, that's not true. Uh, anyway, I'll get it. But I think my point with that being is that, you know, Brett's someone who's going to eat up all this new material. He's someone who's going to study it up and really for his own good feeling power. And teachers like me, I'm going to feel overwhelmed. It's like another new thing. How am I ever going to be good enough to teach this? And I think that with coding class, like I said, and really with kind of any program, we really want to reimagine, you know, and allow teachers to feel comfortable in both roles because we want to empower teachers that want to dig in and learn the materials. And then we also want to empower teachers who have that other skill set that I hate to call it a more traditional skill set, but it's more like that social emotional nurturing skill set that, you know, really is something that was difficult to kind of come by in the pandemic in all these Zoom classes, but teachers really did an amazing job coming up with solutions. I guess to build on that too, uh, that, that, that's another reason we created Reimagined Reading as well, kind of switch a little bit when you ask get back to your question too, is, you know, in a classroom, we are asked to read with our kids and hopefully once a day. And that can be very difficult when you're rotating groups and you've got 30 kids in a classroom. And to stay on top of that can be really hard, right? And to advance them levels down and up, and you see that quite often. And it's it's hard for a teacher to admit that even. It's like, hey, you know, like, it's really hard to get the time to do that. And that was kind of like our main focus for reimagined reading is, okay, so we know that's a problem. So let's let's tackle it. Let's, let, let's address that. And so what we wanted to do is provide an answer to that. And, and to do that, what we have is basically a speech recognition app where kids read a story. And the story animates at the end. So like kind of like a, a little treat to the kid, like, oh, cool, my story's coming to life. But it also lets the kid know what words they're getting right and then gives them a chance to self-correct if they need to. And then that data is compiled and given back to both the students. So they can see, oh, I, I missed this word. Here's how you say it. And also to the teacher and to their parents. So that way they can get that instant feedback that they need so desperately so they can, they can help the kids because everyone wants to. Everyone's heart's in the right place. It's just a matter of time and, and getting it done. And I, I think that's that, that what to us is why these are, I hope you can hear both passion projects and why we're so, so excited about them. Um, Mike, Mike, did you want to add anything to that at all? Yeah, I think many elementary teachers, including myself, can relate to, you know, holding small reading groups with, you know, four or five students at a time. And, you know, students are, you know, closely reading the text. We're either analyzing it for reading comprehension or it's a good fluency group or, you know, groups are made for a variety of different reasons. And then there's obviously a lot of independent reading time in the classroom as well. But rarely is there one-on-one oral, oral reading time with the teacher where you're given that time to get that kind of close, intimate feedback. And with our app, that's kind of like what we designed to do. We really want to be able to give students that one-on-one individualized immediate feedback in like an engaging kind of guitar hero-like setting. So I think that both coding class and reimagined reading, these passion projects of ours, came out of like a little bit of FOMO, if I'm being honest. We have some pretty awesome clients that we create content for, like you alluded to our the clients that we create the typing curriculum for, some of the other coding programs that we work with. And I think that we just like got a little bit of FOMO. We were like, you know, our clients have some amazing projects, but how cool would it be to just me and you get together and, you know, and with our, obviously one of the things reimagined classroom, that kind of parent company of all this, you know, collaboration is so key. 
So how great would it be to get with the teachers that like we handpicked ourselves that like teachers that we looked up to and, you know, and that, you know, were our mentors in buildings like Brett was to me and, you know, collaborate with these people to create something that's our own. And I think that's really what reimagined reading and coding class came out of. It's just teachers coming together and thinking, you know, what are some solutions that we can create for the classrooms that, you know, might be overlooked. And I think we have some pretty cool ones. And the neat thing about that journey too is uh, Mike and I actually, we actually, for Coding Class, we actually connected with Notre Dame and actually recently won an award actually back in, uh, I think it was March actually, um, in Elevate. Uh, There's a competition and we actually were selected as one of the companies to move forward and uh, received an award for that. So that was really just as two teachers, like, oh my gosh, wow, like our like our idea was validated. And just to see that and, and to do that, it's just, it's really exciting because like I said, at the end of the day, like, sure, we're in business, we want to make money, but but help kids and to, to bring that to, to the market, I think. This is exciting to see. So. And so I'm curious, when a potential client comes to you and they're like, we want like we want to have this issue solved within our school, whatever that might be. We're talking about there's coding, there's typing. Uh, there were some other ones I was seeing too, but they come to you with these problems. What's the first question you ask them? So that's a great question. Actually, I'm going to start with where that question comes from. It's design thinking. Um, luckily, we were fortunate at Frisco Elementary. Props to you guys. Uh, we were trained in, uh, we, we actually had someone come up from Stanford, trained in design thinking. And the, the first thing we, we want to do is understand their project. What are they trying to see? What are their goals? What are they trying to accomplish in that classroom? And a lot of times we work with people bringing it to the classroom and things like that. So the first thing is empathy. Empathizing with our clients, understanding what their needs are and what they're trying to accomplish. Now, we will always say, you know, here's our expert opinion and give them thoughts with that. But our first goal is to understand them and to really get what they're trying to achieve. And so our questions roll around that. And then typically what we build is what's called a gold standard, which is like, hey, we heard you. This is what we thought through our collaboration. Here's what we think it looks like. Does it look like that to you? And then from that, we have a conversation and then move on to producing the work for them. So that's, that's kind of a, uh, I hope that answered the question, kind of the process and where we start from and, and how we build. And, I, and design thinking was a big part of that, actually, and bringing that from classroom to business. Yeah, it's a very, very empathetic process um, and very collaborative, too, as I mentioned, not only internally amongst our teachers and our team leaders, everyone in our company is a teacher with at least five years of classroom experience and recent experience. But not only is there internal collaboration, but there's collaboration with the client as well. And then furthermore, before we onboard any client, and this obviously is a big prop to all of our current clients, you know, we go through a, what we call like a series of questions. And, you know, at the top of that list of questions is, is it the right thing to do? And is it going to help kids? And more often than not, the answer is yes. But those are definitely the top two questions we're asking ourselves before we really make any decision with regards to reimagine classroom, taking on a client, to pivoting, you know, with, you know, what we're doing, creating a new passion project. It's definitely the top two questions we ask every single time. Absolutely. And so obviously not right now because it's during COVID, but have you been able to go on site at these schools and senior tools come to fruition that you've created, whether it's a curriculum you developed or a platform? So go ahead. 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 (laughs) Uh, I'll, I'll say so. So yes, we have, and probably some of the best days of my life. Um, for example, uh, so uh, for example, coding class, just watching coding class run in a classroom and go has just been just super, just like, wow, this is, this is, it's functioning, it's working, it's doing exactly what we want. Like watching the, even the teacher do exactly what we said they were going to do. Like, 
we have that cliff note and they're using it and, and it's functioning the way we want. And it's just truly amazing. Um, I'm gonna tell a little story Mike can take over because it's his thunder actually. But we we're actually talking to uh, one of our teachers and they, they said, Mike, I just saw you on a video. And it was for one of our clients. And Mike was literally like, it was so, it was just so surreal to, uh, to see that. So anyway, that, that, that's just another example. Yeah, with coding class, it's, uh, that was like, like Brett mentioned, a really surreal kind of magical experience to watch. Not only a, a teacher execute, but then watch the teach the kids be so. That was obviously the real win. Watching the kids be so engaged with the videos and the, you know, the activities that we had planned. But then, like Brett mentioned, we had done a lot of media for a variety of different companies. And you know, from working in New York and Colorado and starting the company, we have had friends and family that are just teachers outside of you know in our own personal networks. Um, some of my videos have racked up quite a, quite a number of views, and I, I every once in a while I'll, I'll I'll get a text from a friend with my face on a video inside the classroom, teaching multiplication or some ELA lesson, and that's obviously always like a really like you know blushing moment. But it's always it's really fun and really cute and awesome to kind of get that recognition as well. Can, I'm just imagining too being the teacher that knows you and it's playing in, in their class and be like, I know that person. The kids would think you're so cool too. They'd be like, whoa. I know. And then like, it's really embarrassing for me because they're like, you know, taking clips and playing it back for me. And I'm just like, oh my goodness. You're like, but, oh, the sound of my voice. Cause at least that's whenever I have to listen back to my voice, I'm like, oh no. Oh, yeah, totally. and, we actually and been doing stuff. We've actually doing some voiceover work too and some script writing, which is something we love doing, like taking curriculum and then turning it into a script and, and trying to get the kids engaged and excited about a story or a theme and stuff like that. And, and it, it, it's really funny to hear our voices and like our characters and stuff like that and just like, oh wow, you know, it's just really, really amazing. I, I do like being on camera, but Brett definitely has a theater background and is definitely way better at like handing it up for the camera and everything than that. But I think for me, like, you know, we both have like this growth mindset where we're always just trying to get better. So whenever I watch a video from two years ago, I'm always just like, oh, man, I wish I could reshoot that video. So I think that, you know, for me, it's always like a moment of pride of seeing it, but a moment of being like, man, I'm so much better now. <laughs> <laughs> so I, because you do a lot of work with STEAM curriculum and that adding the A to it's relatively recent, but I know now there's STEM, STEAM, STREAM, and it like continues on and on. What is it about, what, if someone's listening, they aren't so familiar with STEAM, how would you explain how STEAM differs from STEM and why you think the inclusion of the A is important? So for me with the A, coming from a music background, the arts is obviously encompassing of you know, arts, music, I, really kind of any form of expression. And I think that this is something that Brett really taught me is, you know, my STEAM kind of project-based learning mentor, and Brett, you can talk more about this as well, but it's really just thinking about, okay, what are the different ways that students are able to display their understanding? And I can't tell you that if I was in elementary school and my teacher was like, instead of a book report, you could write a song about the book you wrote, or you could draw a picture and explain it in front of the class. And I just think allowing students to express themselves in multiple ways. And what's really cool now is what, like, like you mentioned is, you know, oftentimes, you know, you do get an awesome teacher that allows students to express themselves in this way. But with the kind of science, technology, engineering, math, it's like a little bit less easier than ELA and history to like write a song about some mathematics or scientific topic. But you're seeing that more and more. We actually have some clients for as young as pre-K to second grade 
that are creating like some really engaging media like videos for around steam and it includes songs and some really really awesome things are coming along in 2021 so i'm excited uh brett did you want to add anything about they yeah just to build on that to me transdisciplinary teaching is the way and what i mean by that is as adults, we connect concepts constantly together. They don't live in warehouses where it's like, it is math time, it is science time. Like even in my job, you know, we're constantly combining things. So when we take science and technology, uh, science, technology, uh, and math, what, what we're doing is we're, we're saying, okay, let's bring the arts here. And what we can do, and engineering, excuse me, I'm trying to remember, uh, and math, uh, we bring in the arts, those, these things all work in concert together. They're forms of expression and forms of knowledge that we can, we can bring forth. And for example, graphic designer. They have to have some of that understanding of mathematics and things like that to incorporate back into their things. So I think arts is a natural, a natural add-on to that. And I honestly, I think it's best practice. I think we should, thinking about education as transdisciplinary and how we bring subjects together and the connections between the subjects is essential. That's such a great example and one kind of cool example from our own personal uh, curriculum with coding class is there's a lesson in which you know one of the goals of the units is students create their own video game. And it's a very long process, but one of the screens is students are creating their own win and lose screen. So when students win the game, they've created a custom win screen and they've created a custom lose screen. And, you know, they can have, you know, a comment or a graphic and it's really customized to what the students want. But what's really important is understanding when you create this graphic, how it's going to appear on the screen. And to understand that, you have to understand X and Y coordinates. And I think one thing that's really important that we strive for is this like intrinsic learning. And it's like, you know, a normal third grader probably doesn't care about X and Y coordinates, but if it allows them to display their win and lose screen correctly, now they certainly have this like desire to learn this. And I think that's something that we strive for is creating students to have these intrinsic motivation moments to learn. And you do that, you know, through creating these kind of engaging interactive activities. And that ownership is so important, isn't it? And to care about what you're doing and why you're doing it. So yeah, I couldn't agree more. Yeah, I was having a conversation with someone one time, and they said that if you think about it, math is one of the most, it could be such an opportunity for students to express their creativity, but it's taught in a way, at least to how I learned it and how I know a lot of students learn it, that it just takes all of the fun out of it, that you, why would I care about an X and Y coordinate? And it, it really does apply to that design, and I think that's critical for students to understand that. You just brought up such a great example. So one of my favorite courses I've, I've built as a teacher um, is a Minecraft course. And basically, we scale modeled our school. Um, so kids brought trucker wheels. We had large measuring tapes, variety of different things. And basically, we measured it. Now, in Minecraft, it's one meter by one meter. That's the block size. So, okay, great. We have a form of measurement, right? 3.3 three, three by, three, by three. I round down for the kids. You know, great. We can do that. And now we have a purpose, right? Like, hey, guys, we're going to build a school. And then, of course, we add in some art elements as well. Like, okay, so from that, what else can we add to make people want to go to our school? What can we, what can we do to spruce it up? And that, that engagement between math, which is such an easy connection, but, but I agree with you, should be taken more often. Math and science to me, and technology and engineering, of course, but math and science are, are places that are, are explorations and understandings. And to get kids inspired by that, there's so many good opportunities. And, that's me. When you said that, I'm like, oh, I couldn't agree more. And just to build on bread again, I think that, you know, even STEAM is limiting. I think that transdisciplinary learning can incorporate so much more, including ELA, including social studies. And Brett being like this kind of Minecraft guru obviously wants to tie in like 
know, the element of, you know, this engagement, which is awesome. And one project we had was this math market in which students not only created a math market and a town inside that market, but they had to then graph it on paper and then transfer that to Minecraft. So it's like they had this whole virtual town that was alive. And in order to build things in the town, they had to vote on laws and there was town councils that were elected. So we had social studies, we had math, we had science. If they wanted to propose things to the town council, they had to write persuasive speeches. And really it seems like we're cramming a lot in there, but really it was all very, very natural. And kids like, you know, they wanted to build a building in Minecraft. So they had to write a persuasive speech and they had to listen to feedback. It was just like this really, really organic unit that incorporated so many different areas of learning that like, and really props to our, you know, our principal and, you know, the school district for allowing this type of creativity and freedom. And I think that, you know, the more and more we can kind of reimagine classrooms to be these places of, you know, transdisciplinary simulations and explorations, you know, kids are going to be more prepared for the 21st century. And so, and it keeps on going back to this idea of reimagining the classroom. So when you put out these, these solutions, be it curriculum or a tech platform you've developed, how do you measure its ability to reimagine that classroom, to create a new experience that just wasn't there before? The D word data uh, we we definitely you know as classroom teachers you know we're definitely sometimes you know overwhelmed with the amount of data that we're given but i think that taking data a streamlined approach to data and a meaningful approach to data and using both and red is really someone who helped me champion this other side of it i'm someone who's especially with our own products so interested in quantitative data you know, I want the numbers on a large scale. I want to see, you know, how successful are we? And Brett, to his credit, is someone who's all about the qualitative data. He wants the quotes. He wants to see that. And I think that a combination of the two is really going to give you both a, a critical look at it, but then also like the human look at it. And both are so important. Yeah, I, I think engagement too. And, and, and seeing, you know, are the teachers engaged? Do they, do they find this? And they will be engaged if the kids are engaged, right? And I think that is that is key. And so we have, I think there's so many different pictures and shots. And, you know, so it's so easy to look at something and go, okay, you know, started at a three, now they're at a seven on the scale, you know, and, and that is important. That is good data to look at. But also looking and seeing between the lines and saying, what is going on here? You know, are are the teachers buzzing? And they're like, this is, this is amazing. This is exactly what I want to be doing. And these kids, they care. They, you know, they want to come to school today because we're learning about it. And I think a marriage between those two things is just so important because that's that's how we get kids to the next to the next jobs that you mentioned that we don't even know what they will be. Um, so yeah. And I think some of the 21st century social emotional skills are the hardest to measure on like an immediate impact, right? Because you know we're creating these learning activities that are asking kids to collaborate and are almost like forcing like a little bit of like you know positive tension amongst groups. So that way there's you know room for feedback and there's room for you know, collaboration, give and take. And not always are you seeing the immediate results of, you know, kids learning to work together. I think that's sometimes a longer play. And that's that's a really interesting question to grapple with. You know, how do we 
How do we measure the success of our social emotional learning activities? I mean, is it psychological parameters? Is it putting kids in simulations instead of giving them, you know, paper assessments and seeing how they respond? I think that that's a really awesome question to grapple with. And we'll probably see more and more people grapple with it. Yeah, there's this really big move right now with social emotional learning to measure it in some capacity. And I've seen some tech companies that I think maybe they have an idea of how to do it, but I've seen a lot that it's just, it's not going to, it won't work how they're proposing it. Cause it's like, how do you measure self-regulation? Like the amount of time or the amount of time between a student outburst. And then you're like looking for an extension. Cause I've been in the classroom too, working to teach those skills. And it's, it's sometimes just that moment where you realize the kid may have had trouble processing this before or handling yeah. this challenge, but they didn't this time. And it's like, I can't measure that. I can't put a score on it. I, I see it and I see change in front of me. The, the, you know what I love about that is so in the IB world, like we have our attitudes and profiles, which I'm a big fan of and, and bringing that to classroom every day. And one of the, one of the measurements that I always take is, you know, first of all, do I set up enough scenarios so the kids have enough time to practice confidence or, you know, positive attitudes or communication skills? And then from that too, you know, parent conferences where I have parents constantly coming to me and saying, I, my son knows now how to do this, you know, where they didn't see that soft skill before. And as we all know as adults, like those are essential, right? Like if you don't, if you, if you can't, you know, if you don't have the commitment skills, if you, you know, you're not confident, those can really affect your ability to find a job and be successful. And I, I agree there are challenges with this assess uh, quanti- or, uh, quantifying the data, but there are good examples that I think, and I, 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 I've had so many conversations with parents that are like, I see this and I've seen yeah. that change. And, and that's very powerful. And that's something that's like not going away in classrooms, right? That, that that role of the teacher. And I think that that's something that's so, so critical. And I think as teachers, you know, are asked to do more and more and more, you know, that obviously is also taking a toll on students as well as they're asking to be, you know, learning more and more. And I think that thinking about students and their social emotional progress, thinking about it in an individualized approach as well. You know, I think that looking at students, you know, I started at point A and now I'm at point B, you know, I think that all the small steps have to be celebrated and, you know, maybe it's something that shouldn't be quantified. Maybe it's something that should just be qualified. I'm not sure. I think that, you know, that's why you get your master of arts in teaching, right? not your master of science. And I think that, you know, there's, there's a big reason for that because it's definitely, you know, no two kids are the same, no two classrooms are the same. And I think that, you know, no two solutions for students, you know, you know, having different issues or coming from different backgrounds or struggling with different subjects might be the same. And this is something I passed about. So I just want to mention this too, is, you know, I do think there are good examples of how we can dis- display this as a, as a teacher and as students can get a chance, an opportunity to show the skill growth. And that, you know, and I do with exhibition, you know, in fifth grade, I've, I've run so many exhibitions before, and it's a chance to really show off not only our learning, but also like our ability to talk to a crowd, to communicate, to work with our team and, and solve a very difficult problem. I won't go into like what exhibition's about, but you know, if you have a chance, it's, it's an excellent way to, to show some of those skill sets. Well, fantastic. So I I think that's such a perfect place to end this part of the interview. I there's I I I'm really inspired hearing about your work at Reimagine Classrooms. And I think it's paving the way for teachers to be able to focus more on the social emotional side of learning to to really be there for their students, which I think is something we've realized is so important over these last months. So I wanted to wrap it up with a game, which I am calling 
the classroom next door. Just a few rapid fire questions. So first one is you have two minutes in Target to grab as much as you can. What's the one thing you reach for no matter what? Oh, goodness. I have such a bad answer. <laughs> Candy. Candy, love it. Okay, I'm more practical. I got a backpack. Because I got all this stuff together, so I got to get all my backpacks. So, you know, like, so I want to be efficient and fast and, and get it done. There you go. You'll be inefficient and fast, and Michael will be loaded up on sugar. So, you'll help me. You work as a team always. You'll load it in my backpack. So I'll be ready to store stuff in the backpack. Yeah. <laughs> Great. Okay. You realize your students need some laughs. Maybe it's just a really low day in the classroom, gray outside. Who knows? What's your favorite go to teacher joke? Oh, go to teacher joke. I think about somewhere different. Hmm. Well, if I wanted to make my students laugh, I don't know about a go-to teacher joke, but I'd probably show them a video of Brett and I from the year that we taught together. We were in a, as I mentioned, this really awesome school that's very transdisciplinary and really, although they tested very, very high, the scores were very well, didn't have a very much focus on the test. So we took the test prep time to really be like, you know, we're not going to stress about the test. So we wound up creating, you know, that song, Seven Years. Once I was seven years, we created a parody of that song about not stressing about the test in which Brett and I dressed up as evil witch test makers. All kids' and ideas, they, they formed this whole plot. We actually combined we, it into a literacy unit we had. But yes, it was a story. Purple, purple wigs and bad lip syncing and the whole nine. And our students like destroyed us as the evil witch test makers. So I would probably show them that embarrassing video. Okay, I'm not good at one-line jokes, but I know exactly what I'd go to. So my kids are they're just running out of juice. Okay, guys, we're going to stand up. We're going to play a one-minute game. It's called The Mirror. And basically, The Mirror is Mr. Myers is going to do something. I have to copy what I do. So I start doing all these weird shapes and movements with my bodies. And after one minute, everyone's, like, rolling and laughing. And then we sit down, and they're ready to go. Because, like, we just also got a good stretch out. So that's what my go-to is to get everyone woken up and getting going when I see that energy level get them up. Let's I'm going to practice my one-liners, though. That's for sure. Yeah. <laughs> that's fantastic. Okay, so you can lay this classroom out however you want. What does it look like? So my classroom's got different learning centers around, and there's fluidity between those centers and a central meeting place. So when I want to call everyone together, we can meet together. There's places, of course, where you can, you know, materials you can use to write and move. But my classroom is, is very flexible and fluid. We can move around and, you know, if we're starting a project today, no problem. Let's move over here. And things, things are just easy to flex and, and be fluid with my students. Okay, but you're really letting me imagine. I would have a very big room. And it would, be, it would be similar to Brett's in the spaces. But I think, like, there would be, like, a dedicated maker space. And then there would be like a dedicated like music studio. And then there would be a dedicated like broadcast production studio. And it would all just be about like how can kids like express, take what we're learning and express themselves in the way. Because for me, like, you know, I, I think about my musical background, like how just enthusiastic I would have been about school if I could like jam every learning I ever understood with my friends. And then like, I think about like, you know, my, my other classmates who would have preferred to draw. And, you know, I think that just having a room with like, it, it, almost like Willy Wonka's like chocolate factory for learning, like just like everything you can imagine. Okay, I didn't break down the budget wall. <laughs> I, was like, I, was like, I was like, wow, that, you go. <laughs> 
I, I love the creativity with it and that Willy Wonka's like chocolate factory for learning. I feel like you could really brand that. Um, okay. Last question in this game. What would be your classroom motto? That's a really good question. Uh, you know what? I, I guess this kind of goes back to, I, I thought something that was really wise is, is I don't have a great one-liner for you. Like I said, I'm not good at the one-line jokes, but like something about like, we're not good or bad at things. We practice to learn things. And by practice, we get there. And it's, it's okay if you don't know it. That just means it's like a muscle to strengthen um, that we need to work out. And I think I will come back to you one day with a quick one-liner quip about that. But I think that kind of, emphasizes what my kids understand is no one's bad or good at things. We need to practice, put in effort, and that's how we learn things and get better at things. I don't think we need a one-liner. That was pretty perfect. <laughs> yes, so, I won. I won the game. <laughs> Brett and I have this little pledge we do every Monday. I'm not going to do the whole pledge for you. It's a little bit embarrassing. But Brett and I have this whole pledge we do every Monday. And I, I gave you two questions as part of the pledge earlier on. But the pledge is a variety of things. And Brett and I are, are, have been friends for a long time now. So I think I'd want some kind of pledge that starts like, you know, kindness first. Like, let's always be honest. Let's work our hardest. Like Brett said, let's practice and grow and let's build each other up. You know, I think some a big thing about collaboration. I, I, I think that the repetition of the pledge, at least for me, it's like really sunken in. And it's almost like changed who I am. Like, I feel like we say it every Monday and like it really helps to like focus my thoughts. And I think like that kind of thinking would be, it's almost like our mantra. So yeah, that would be, uh, yeah, it's, it's what we believe in our priorities. Some kind of mantra like that, but that, that's an awesome question. I, I think that's so great. Having that sort of thing that you repeat every week, you really start to internalize it and it builds who you are. That's, that's great. I would have loved to have had that in class. And I think that's something that, even people should do in their jobs, whether or not they're in schools or, or wherever they are. I think having that amongst your, your coworkers and your staff is so important. Absolutely. 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 Well, thank you guys so much for coming on. Where can the listeners find you? All yeah. right. So if you're a teacher or a curriculum creation company or a school, you can definitely check us out at reimaginedclassroom.com. We're always looking for more awesome teachers to join our team. We're experiencing some really awesome explosive growth right now. So whether you're elementary, middle, or high school, we're definitely looking to onboard awesome teachers. And, oh, and of course, codingclass.org as well. If you're interested in checking out what we do with our coding, our coding curriculum, um, yeah, please check us out at codingclass.org as well. And feel free to reach out to us anytime. You can find our contact information. We try to get back to you as quick as we can. Uh, usually within 24 hours and we'd love to work with you. Great. Well, thank you both again. Thank you.